Today, as we prepare for Easter, which is nigh upon us, I want to ask a very important question, which you will be asked at some stage in your life by your work colleagues. Nicola, they're going to ask you this. And it's kind of nice to know, at least be familiar with the territory before you get asked this question. We're going to go a little deeper than the answer you probably remember from Sunday school. So, you've heard the question before, but if you were to defend this in front of your work colleagues, I want to help you feel this for a moment. The question for this morning is this, why did Jesus have to die? Don't lose that and stay with me today. For example, why couldn't God just do what every one of us do every day? Why can you say, oh, I forgive you? Why can you just do that? You and I forgive people all the time, don't we? And you don't have to die to forgive that person, right? You just forgive them. That's it. It's over. Done. See, people have hurt you deeply. You've grieved. Some of you have had to have counseling. And in the end, after all that's done, you can say with genuine integrity in your heart, that person has robbed me of my dignity. They maybe robbed me of my reputation. Maybe that person robbed me of my first marriage. That person robbed me of my child. That hurts. But I have to let it go and forgive, especially if I want to have a continuing relationship with that person. Don't I? If I want to have a continuing relationship with that person, I've got to let it go. Now, all of us in this room currently have relationships that we are in right now with people that have hurt us deeply. In fact, those often you love the most are the ones that can hurt you most deeply. Because everybody else, you just blow off. So what? Right? So ones who are real close to you, and they go, you go, ah, that hurt. Right? Yeah. The other ones, yeah, what's that to me? But the ones who you know, ooch, that really hurts when that happens. So, as a young Christian, this question used to run through my mind an awful lot. Why did Jesus have to die? And my simple answer when I was a young Christian, well, Jesus had to die for pay for my sins. We asked Jesus into our hearts, and then they get to heaven, amen. That was it. That was a real simplistic answer. But if you and I are going to answer your friends at work, and your neighbors, and your extended family, you need to look a little bit deeper and have a good answer to this question. Here it comes a different way. What kind of God would come up with a system where his son has to die? Anybody ever heard that? Come on, let's see your hands. So yeah, three, four, six, okay. Maybe a dozen, two dozen of you. The rest of you, you need to talk to your work colleagues a bit more because that question will come up. I don't get it. I just don't get it. In other words, why is it that it looks like that God has no way out but to send his son to die for us? That's the way it looks. Where did that system come from? And if he is God, why can he just change his mind, you know? 
and change the rules, you know, kind of like we used to have a, in the swing, when I was at primary school, what happened is the young guys would have a swim, and then the next grade, and the, 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 the whistle would go, and then they'd all come out, and then the next lot would go in, and then they'd have a go. Why can't just God blow the whistle and say, it's an all swim? You all can get in. Why can't he do that? You know, everybody's forgiven, you're all in. Why can't God just forgive, just like you and I do all the time? If you're getting that down both barrels, you need to have thought about this before you get this. And that's part of the reason the church exists, to help equip you with answers for this. Here's a good example of forgiveness I'm talking about. This hurts. I know of a midwife that uh, during the birth of a baby, the delivery wasn't handled correctly. And basically the baby had brain damaged. She dropped the baby on its head. Now, if it's humanly possible to forgive that kind of sin, which the mother and father did, why can't God just say, I forgive you? Why did Jesus have to die is the question that we're looking at today. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you may have even heard that Jesus died for your sins. Today we're going to open this up and look a little deeper at this question. And as a Christian, your answer may be, well, Jesus died to my sins because I'm a sinner and somebody had to pay. My friends, we need to pay a bit closer attention at Easter because there's more to it than that as a Christian. And you need to be able to explain this. So if you have your Bibles and if you're a Christian, I highly encourage you to bring your Bibles You need to be able to accurately handle the Word of God. And a great place to do that is in the church. So if you've gone and whip it up into Romans chapter 3, if you're not a Christian this morning or you haven't brought your Bibles, we have an outline and the the, um, verses are going to be on the screen. So Romans 3, an incredibly important passage of Scripture. If you have never read Romans from end to end, you are missing out in your Christian life. Paul hadn't been there first, and he sends us later on ahead to explain a whole bunch of stuff incredibly powerful. So Romans 3 is a very important passage of Scripture, but it is not an easy one. And today, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, which contains a very popular verse here, but it's sandwiched between some deep, serious theological thinking. And today, we're going to clarify just this little section I'm going to start here, and then I'm going to back into why Jesus died. So stay with me. I'm going to start here, but that's where I'm going to end up, if you stay with me. So let's have a look at this. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in Rome. Here we are. Romans 3, verse 21. And he says this, and perhaps you should look around this when you get home before it so you know the context but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testified now the word righteousness here means a right standing with God And it refers to what is deemed right by the Lord after his examining, after his examination, i.e. 
that is what is approved in his eyes. And this verse says, God has revealed a new way to have a right standing with him. Now, whereas the law previously, the law of Moses, was God's righteous standard, that was the standard, there's a problem with that. The righteousness required to live up to it was not within our capacity. It just showed us, whoa, I'm a bad guy. I can't do that. I can't meet that standard. So God, the measure of righteousness, revealed the means of righteousness. So the gospel, I've got to tell you, is not a recent creation. You can go back over here and it talks about the eternal gospel. And it talks about it in Revelation too. The gospel is eternal. It wasn't just like jeepers. The human screwed up. I need to fix the situation. He knew about this all along. The gospel is eternal. Another subject. Good thing to search on, the, on your Bible software. Eternal gospel. That way you'll get the idea. It's from ever to ever. God knew about this ahead of time. So the gospel is not a recent creation by God to respond to man's failure. It was part of God's plan all along, but now made known. Something can be in existence and the plan, now it's made known. It was all part of the plan. And Paul says there was a new approach to God that doesn't entail keeping a whole bunch of rules because some of you are really good at keeping rules and some of us are terrible, right? (laughs) I'll let you decide which side you're on, but I know where I am. Paul says, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So the prophets and the law pointed to this transaction that was going to happen. They pointed to the gospel, which is a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Verse 22, this righteousness, or the right standing, be able to stand before God rightly, comes Uh, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. This is brand new. He says, you can have right standing with God, have nothing between you and God, no sin there. It has nothing to do with your performance, nothing to do with your activities, nothing to do with your observance of the law. It's through a person, and that person is the one and only Jesus Christ. Easter. The way you have the right standing is through, with God, is through faith in Jesus. Not doing, which is the old way, but believing, which is a new way. Keep going. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. No difference. In other words, not who perform well, not who are good, not who get the act together. Be careful of that one. That's a real trap. But all who believe. So, the right standing, this right to standing is from God through faith in Jesus Christ. Carry on. There's no difference. For all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now he says the good news is, back when you had to keep the rules, again, some people super good rule keepers, others were terrible. In this new system, everybody gets in the same way. Everybody has sinned. Now let me talk about this verse a little bit because it sets us up to answer the question. But the background says, why did Jesus have to die? When he says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, what he's actually saying is somewhere in your past and my past, you have sinned and I have sinned and consequently in this present time I have fallen short. I'm not measuring up. I'm missing the mark of God's standards and requirements. Now, fairly soon, we're going to have the Olympics. 
And one of those events is archery, where you pull back the bow and you aim for the bullseye. Now imagine for the moment that the rules of the game were if you miss one, you've got to hit four bullseyes in a row, then, then you're in to even pre-qualify four of them in a row. Shows you're hitting the mark, right? But if you miss the first one, doesn't matter if you hit the next three, you're out. Doesn't make up, even if you make five in a row after that. If you miss the first one, you miss the standard. That's how it works. You had to get four bullseyes. And that's a picture of sin. Somewhere in our past, we fall short. The arrow misses the bullseye. We miss it. And that, consequently, because the standard is perfect, uh, is perfection, because that's what the standard is. It doesn't matter how perfect you are from that point onwards. There is no way you can go back and make up for the fact that I missed the bullseye the first time. I missed it. I'm not perfect. Everybody knows that. I've never made any... Oh, actually, that's not quite true. There was one person who was trying to claim that the other day. I'm a Christian. And the guy said, have you ever been forgiven by Jesus Christ? He said, well, I don't need to be. I've never made a mistake. You know who that was, don't you? Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm just reporting the facts. But as a pastor, let me tell you, it's impossible to be a Christian without being forgiven. Impossible. Theologically impossible. Okay, but don't worry. There's other people who think that he's possible like Cyrus and God can use him. Who knows? They'll leave that in your hands, Lord. <laughs> oh, one of the most important things here. Okay, so it doesn't matter if you miss the first one. Uh, if you miss the first one, the next three or four or five, if you get them all, doesn't matter. You're blind it. So... Because we miss the bullseye, we fall short of God's splendor, majesty, and perfection. And so all of us are in the same boat. And he continues, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified. Now that word justified, really easy way to remember what that means. Justified is just as if I'd never sinned. That's what the theological word justified means. Just as if I had never sinned. You may want to write that out. It's a useful thought. So we are justified, that means given right standing with God, freely by His grace, through what? The redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He says this, here's the deal guys, we've all sinned, we've all missed the mark, but we are justified, made righteous freely. It's a gift to get a right standing with God. And you can obtain that because God gives it you freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now you know what a redemption is. If you've ever had a coupon, you know what a coupon? Clip, 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 clip. Uh, a coupon. And you take it somewhere and you redeem it. I'm going to give you the coupon and then you can take it somewhere and you can exchange that. You can exchange that for something else in, in itself. If you have a gift certificate and you take it to the store, you redeem it. And you hand it to them and they give you a gift. They give you a gift. And here's a picture. We get a free gift. We get a free gift. As you know, if you have been ever given the gift though, you know it cost you something. Somebody, it cost somebody. Somebody had to pay for that. And at Christmas, for example... The gift is a free to the person who gets it, but it costs somebody something. Well, just as God freely gives us that right standing with him, it costs him something. For you to have the gift of salvation, Jesus had to pay. Jesus had to pay. 
We are made right with God freely by his grace through the payment of the death of his son on that cross. And then the Bible says here in Romans 3.25, God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He was presented as a sacrifice. This is the way that God gives us something for free, but it costs him dearly. Costs him dearly. This is the way that Jesus died on the cross. Sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He died on the cross for the sacrifice of our sin. He paid for the price. Freely given the gift of salvation. And he uses that word atonement. That word atonement means to cover something or our sins through faith in his blood that's covered. And the Bible says that Jesus' blood covered us and without him we are guilty and we deserve eternity apart from God. The blood of Christ covers our sin and serves as payment for our sins. Now many of you have heard that before but you still ask the question is, well why did Jesus' blood have to cover my sin? Why couldn't God just say I forgive you? Welcome to heaven, come on in. Why can't you go to God and, and he could just forgive me anyway? Why did he have to die? Here's the answer to that question. Here's the critical answer to that question. Why did Jesus have to give his life? Notice. He, as God, did this to demonstrate, you could write substitute or authenticate, his, that's God's justice. So he did it to demonstrate God's justice. And that's what we sung about today. Because in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. So the answer is, the reason why Jesus had to die is because God by his nature is just. And that means when you have pure justice, somebody has to pay. That means when you sin, somebody falls short, somebody's got to pay. Pure justice doesn't just let people off the hook. That isn't justice. That is not justice. I can let people off the hook. You can let the hook people off the hook if you choose, but for there to be justice, somebody has to pay, and God is just. So you may ask, well, what sins back here did God leave unpunished? Well, in Eden, God announced the punishment for disobedience and sin. It was going to be death, right? He said, have you ever wondered that? You read it, and he says, you do this, and you'll cut yourself off from me. It'll be spiritual death. So when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they cut themselves off, and they died spiritually and became separated from God. He says, this is why you die spiritually. God is a source of all life. You separate yourself from him, say, nah, I don't want you. You cut yourself from all life. That's what happens, even though they did not die immediately physically. So implementing his plan to redeem his lost creatures, God sought out those who obediently trusted him. For example, Abel. For example, Enoch. For example, Noah and Abraham. And their spiritual successes. Even though they were sinners, get this, God spared them for eternal separation and their just punishment from their sin. The law never saved anybody. It just showed them, I can't measure up. There's no way I can do that. That's standard perfection. The Bible says the law served to point us to a need for a saviour because we can never do it ourselves. And yes, so God said here, people could say, well, if you were such a just God, then why wasn't sin being punished? 
And God said, because of my mercy I've waited, because I am just, and pure justice somebody has to pay. So I sent Jesus into the world to pay for your sins, to validate, to substantiate, to authenticate that the fact that I am a just God. It will be hideous to have a non-just God. God is perfectly just. And yes, by the way, you want him to be just, to fix all the wrongs that are sloped off under the radar. Not all things are just in this world. Anybody found that out? Oh, yeah. Justice doesn't always get done on this side of eternity. So, yes, God's mercy, he could overlook sin for a while, but because God is just, by nature, eventually, somebody had to pay. Otherwise, God wouldn't be just. And that's one of his key attributes. A lot of people like to try and separate, oh, God's love. And they focus so much on his love, they forget there's another side to this. And it's God's justice. His justice. So, I can let you off the hook. You can let people off the hook and let them go unpunished. But I am a just God. And it's contrary to my nature not to be just, but to validate to demonstrate I'm a just God, somebody had to pay. So I sent my son Jesus to pay to authenticate my justice. So why did Jesus die? Because God is just. Just look at the cross. Your heavenly father is so committed to justice for wrongs being paid for, for sin being dealt with, for debts being paid off, that he sent his son to make sure all was taken care of. Push the rewind button. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate what his, what is it? Justice. Because his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. When he goes on, he did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time. And this is so big. This is big. So don't miss this. So as to be just and the one who justifies. So hold on. He's going to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. That's Romans 3.26. So God says, I'm merciful. I'm a God of grace and I am a God of justice. Now notice that last verse there. The imputation of God's righteousness to unrighteous human beings is not automatic. Don't miss that. It is not automatic. It's only for everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ. Now God says, I am a God of mercy, I'm a God of justice and grace. In my mercy, I let it go for a while. In my justice, eventually somebody's got to pay. And in my grace, I decided to allow my son to pay for what you did. Now, the reason he had to die is because your sin and my sin deserve separation from holiness and a holy God. And because I am, I can't just let that, I am just, I can't just let that go. Otherwise, he wouldn't be perfectly just. You can do that because you and I are not perfectly just. But God is justice personified and somebody had to pay. So he says, I am the just, I am just, and I am the justifier. In my justice, somebody had to pay. Because of my grace, I decided to pay the price myself on your behalf. So Jesus had to die because God is God of justice. Now I'm going to give you three clear statements to sum this up. Here are the three. 
Why did Jesus have to die? Three clear statements. One, in his mercy, he delayed payment. In his mercy, there were years when that sin wasn't punished immediately. There wasn't. Number two, in his justice, he demanded payment because he is just. If he didn't demand justice, he wouldn't be just. Somebody had to pay. And three, in his grace, he made the payment. He said, you're in debt, and there's no way you can pay, so I'll pay. So that way, he was just and justifier. And that's just amazing. Amazing that he would do that, to live consistently with his justice and his grace. Now, there's one more tough question, so let's be honest here. So hold on a second, Ian. Are you trying to tell me that my sin is so bad, it deserves eternal separation from God? Really? You mean my sin will earn me death? Separation from the source of all life? Yeah, because in God's presence, there is no sin. It cannot be tainted by sin. You need to answer this question, you see, because people think like this. Well, hold on. Pretty much it seems a bit strange, this, because most of my sins I've committed, first of all, I've already forgiven those that I've hurt, and I've gone to them and I said, will you please forgive me? And they said, yeah, maybe. And then, yeah, okay, I will. You know, if I've got a good response. My sins weren't even bad enough to stick me in jail. Close, but not, not even that bad. <laughs> Close. Now, when most people I have confessed to, they simply said, you know, I will forgive you. Here's the deal. We often miss. Here's the thing that separates us from our belief systems. Our inability to grasp God's holiness and his magnificence and his purity leads us to underestimate the significance of our sin. We underestimate it. I look at the significance of my sin in the context of all your sins. Now, if I'm looking at somebody like Jacques, well, I'm possibly on the better side of Jacques, okay? Or I could be better than some of you. I could be on this side. But if I look at Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, well, I'm definitely on this side. You know what I'm saying? When I look at my sin, I look at those around me. And well, I'm not quite as bad as this person. Or I'm a little better than that person. So do you. That's how we look at our sin. But from God's view, he doesn't look at my sin in the context of your sin. He looks at it in the context of his holiness. And as you read the Bible, this becomes clear. My sin contrasts against the backdrop of God's holiness and purity is the kind of sin that earns for me eternal separation because you cannot mix oil and water like that. You say, how come I don't understand? Let me give an example of this. The best illustration could come out. And any analogy is flawed, but this will give you an idea how I felt. One of my good friends is a worship pastor. When my kids are little, he took us all out to a place called San Bernardino National Forest. And this guy loved his cars. Oh, he loved his cars. He had a V-dub, a beautiful one. It was po- I could look, I could almost shave off. It was so polished. It was beautiful. Anyway, my kids and their kids, we all got in his V-dub and we all charged up to the San Bernardino Forest to do some hiking. Well, my little guy at that stage, Joshua, was five years old. And he'd been cooped up in a car for an hour and 20 minutes. Anyway, he leaps at the car, most uncharacteristic, because in our family, there was a rule. No throwing stones. You probably told your kids that, right? He's never done that before. 
What on earth possesses him? He hops out the car, you know, with enthusiasm. I could expect Stephen to do this, but not Josh. So, so he picks up a rock, a whacking great rock, and there's a huge, like, dahlia. And, you know, I thought, well, this is the middle of the forest, you know, a big gully. What the heck? So get the picture. Beautiful V-dub here. Josh is out the car with his whacking rock, pointing this direction. Picked it up, and with all of his might, for a five-year-old, it was a still bit of might, because he's pretty wiry a little bigger, he throws it, but he does this, he goes, <laughs> and Ron the worship, it goes skating right across the top of his bonnet, scaring it, <laughs> and then tinks so hard, it actually nicks the top of his windscreen as well. I'm going, ka-ching, ka-ching, 500 $700, $1,200. Unbelievable, this guy. He's five years old. I'm going, Joshy, what did you do that for? I mean, as you probably would when you've gone, ka-ching, ka-ching, $1,200. Josh, do you know how much it's going to cost? I told him, $1,200 to fix that. Poor Ron's looking there as white as a sheet. It's his pride and joy. Trashed. Multiple places. Because you can't just spray the bonnet. You've got to spray the sides as well to blend it all in, right? And then, goodness knows what we're going to do about the windscreen. The windscreen's the least of my worries. It's a paint everywhere else. And I'm asking this six or five-year-old kid, do you understand what you have done? Now, let me ask you a question. Is it possible to explain to a five-year-old what he's actually fully done there in the way to that? Ron's going to have to park his car. He's going to have to get a special car. And the insurance deductible goes up through the roof. I mean, through the roof, and all these implications, yada, yada, yada. Now, can I, the, the kid doesn't even get any pocket money. Wouldn't it make sense for me to say, and you're going to pay for that? He's going, what, what the heck? You know, does it make any sense to say he's going to pay for that? He can't possibly pay for that. Can he do anything about it now? Did he fix that himself as a five-year-old? Absolutely not. You know what I had to do, Josh? Uh, to Josh? I said, Joshy. I got down to his level and I said, Joshy, please don't throw stones ever again. And you know what he did? He came up to me, put his arms around me, and he said, I'm sorry, Daddy. And my heart melted. I thought, oh, man. <laughs> I want to kill him a little bigger. <laughs> Not to mention, it was very embarrassing when my good mate needs to But the point is this. I can't ask him to pay. He couldn't possibly pay. You know what it's like? It's like red men that live in a red world and everything we see around us is red. It's just a different shade of red. If you're really, really good, you're light red. And if you're really, really bad, you're dark red. But it's all red. How in the world would you ever explain to those red men in the red world the world that we live in with colour? You can say, the biggest thing you think about God, well, the glory of God. And you may wobble your voice to something crazy like this to say something big. You know, you might try and talk about the holiness of God and try and emphasise that. But we just think, as light a shade as red as we can think. And a few Bible characters, a few good men were exposed to just a little bit of the glimpse of the real glory of God.
And you know what they did? Every one of them fell smack down on the ground. Some as dead men. Isaiah, he's a good one. They couldn't even look up. Isaiah says, um, to whom God used to write some stunning prophecies about Jesus. This is a guy who was used to write a book of the Bible, right? So remember this. He captures a little glimpse of God and look what he says here in Isaiah 6, 5. Woe is me, I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the King and the Lord Almighty and I'm thinking, seriously? You don't seem to be obviously unclean to me. You've just written a book of the Bible. How is that? You, and you're a good guy and yet you think you're a worm here? He says, in the light of what I just saw, I am an unclean man. I am filthy. I'm like a filthy rag compared to pristine white. That's how he saw it when he caught caught a glimpse. What about Moses? He saw a little bit of God's glory and he hid in a rock list to be killed. What about John? Now, this is an interesting one. John, his fishing buddy. Jesus and John had done a lot of fishing together, so he knew him real well. Shirt off type of style. You know, working hard, shoulder to shoulder. John knew Jesus really well. In fact, he's called a beloved disciple. The walk together and the closeness was well known. That's when Jesus was wrapped in flesh, veiled in flesh. But in the end times, he has a revelation of God and Jesus shows up in his glory and John is flat out, face down on the ground. And this is what he says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He laid his right hand on me. This is, this is his fishing buddy. But now he's in his, all, all his glory. He's not veiled in flesh. Very different. Fear not. I am, that's the word for God, the first and the last. This was John seeing his friend. So John and Moses and Isaiah saw themselves in stark contrast to God's holiness. Because I am a God of mercy, I can let it go for a while. Because I'm a God of justice, somebody has to pay. Now it may not seem like a big deal to you. It seems maybe just like a scratch on a bonnet to a five-year-old. But somebody has to pay. By the way, that was moi. Because I'm a God of grace, I'm going to pay for you. Isn't it incredible? Because of his mercy, he lets it go for a while. Because of his justice, somebody's going to pay. Because of his grace, he's willing to pay the price for you. Now some of you have received the free gift of salvation. The next time he comes back, he is not coming back as a saviour. He is not coming back in mercy. He's not coming back in in grace. The next time your eyes see Jesus, you'll be like John and Isaiah and Moses. Woefully have I undercalled my own sin. And you'll feel and you'll know that he's coming back as a God of justice. And that everybody will have to give an account of their lives. Everybody has to give an account. Now, if you're a Christian, when it comes time to be judged, if you have trusted Jesus, not in your intelligence, not there's anything wrong with that, not in your good work, not there's anything wrong with that, but the primary 
covering for your sin is trusting in Jesus Christ to pay the full payment. If you've trusted in Jesus to pay for your sin, you don't have to pay for your sins when he comes back. Because in God's grace, Jesus has already paid them for you. Now, and you accepted the gift. But if you are not a Christian, and some of you here this morning are still thinking about that, that's okay, I'm just telling you the facts so you can make your own decision. And you haven't received the free gift of salvation, he won't force it upon you. It's up to you to choose. If you haven't trusted Jesus to pay for your sins, then you get to pay for your sins. But he comes back as a judge, often missed in church today. He's coming back as a judge. But you are like Joshua, my little five-year-old, bankrupt when it came to paying for his sins. Just not enough to pay. It's impossible. Now, one of the purposes of the church is to make the good news available to you. And we want, to see you, we want you to see yourself in need of a saviour and to receive his free gift of salvation from a God. But in his mercy, he is patient with you. But a God of justice who will, who will demand payment. Otherwise, he's not just. He's winking at sin. God never does that. But God in his grace is willing to make a payment for you if you will receive that coupon of grace. So this morning we're going to give you a chance to do that. And if you've been coming for several weeks and listening to these messages, perhaps you're here today and you're ready to do that. Perhaps that's you. And those of you who have never become a Christian before, especially to accept the Lord as your saviour. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And the prayer... A prayer in itself will never make you a Christian, but the prayer is a way to say to God, I believe that Jesus is the Saviour and I accept him as my Saviour. And I'm going to give you some words. Now you can use your own words. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can use your own. But I would like for you to bow, and if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, here's a perfect opportunity to do that, to follow me in this prayer either aloud or in your mind, or to just use your own words. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe in your mercy, you have been patient with me. And I believe that somebody has to pay for my sin. I believe that I can't be good enough to pay for my sin. And I believe that Jesus has already paid for my sin. So right now, I want to accept Jesus as my personal saviour. I repent. I turn away from my sins. And I accept him and what he did as the payment for my sin. I'm putting all my trust in what he did and I'm no longer going to trust in what I can do. Thank you for receiving me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, Heavenly Father, I thank you for making it just so clear. The word pictures of your mercy and your justice. But most of all, thank you for your unmerited favor and grace. Amen.